The reading is taken today from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. Love for enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Judging others, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measures you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind leave the blind? They will not both fall into a pit. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. A tree and its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is the word of the Lord. There we are. I need to line myself up so I've got a brick wall behind me if you're looking at me on the screen. So I'm up against it, okay? <laughs> I want to start by telling you a little bit about my uh, granddaughter, uh, Lottie, who has the most wonderful uh, uh, imagination. When she was six, um, uh, when she would be taken in the car, she had this imaginary friend called Elliot. And she would talk to him, sometimes quite sternly. Um, and then uh, my daughter said to her husband, 
This is very strange because we don't know anybody called Elliot. And he looked at her and he said, have you ever heard what you call drivers in the cars that are overtaking you uh, too fast? (laughs) Idiot! And so idiot uh, became Elliot in Lottie's imagination. And there my mild-mannered daughter, who did all that her parents told her to do and became a lovely person, makes a very quick judgment about people on the road who are driving badly. And she's a bit like the rest of us because we make quick judgments because we haven't got time to get all the facts. Unruly child in the street, bad parenting. Unemployed person, lazy, good for nothing. Drunken reveler on a Saturday night, foolish people. Bad driver, idiot. And you know, it's true not only for the people that we meet and encounter day by day. It's true for the people we'll never meet, but we know all about because we read about them in the newspapers who give us a very quick judgment as to whether they are worthy people or unworthy people. And the newspapers can change them just in a flash. We haven't got time to let the facts get in the way of the pigeonholes we want to put people in. And so we are quick to judge, quick on the floor, as you might say, quick on the things that are bad. And of course, if they're bad and they fit into our category of people who are bad, then we only ever listen to that. And if they're good, we won't hear any bad about them. And what's true of human people, humanity as a whole, is true particularly of religious people. Religious people are more judgmental than people who just let life go by. You only need to think of many uh, Islamic states where if you're not sound, then you are judged as being unsound. Even India, which for many years had the quiet and peaceable Hindu majority, are now intolerant of people who don't have the same religious point of view. And as for Buddhism, Buddhism, the very essence of being at peace with yourself and peace with others, just look what's happening in Myanmar. Intolerance is now the norm. Now, that's good. We've got rid of uh, the Buddhists, the, uh, 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 the Hindus, Uh, and Islamic faith. But unfortunately, Christians don't come off lightly either. Ask most non-Christians what Christians believe, and they'll tell you what they don't approve of. We have a a neighbor in our WhatsApp group in Iberian Way uh, who has as her tagline, live and let live. And you can't think of a tagline more opposite to what most people think of when they think of Christians. Ask them for a tagline for us, and it'll probably start with the word don't. We're good at disapproving of things. Now, why do we have this image? Well, I think the first thing to say is that it is a parody, and it's not entirely true of all of us all of the time. 
But there are three reasons, I think, why Christians are more likely to be seen as judgmental than people who have no faith at all. In part, the first thing, is that we believe in right and wrong. We believe that there are are absolutes. So live and let live won't work for us because we believe that there is a right way to do things and there is a wrong way. And it's simpler to live with black and white, isn't it? Rather than to have a principle that has to be applied in different situations, we just have a category of things that are wrong and things that are right. And we may not say it, but people will pick up the fact that we disapprove of some things and we approve of other things, usually practices, things on the outside. Another reason, I think, why we are prone to be seen as more judgmental is it's out of loyalty to Jesus. He's the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, and to his people, we have an allegiance. And an attack on our beliefs is an attack on him. And in our mind, Jesus needs defending. You remember Charles Spurgeon from the 19th century was asked during the time of biblical criticism whether it was his job to defend the Bible. What was his reply? Defend the Bible, I'd rather defend a lion. And there's a third reason. I think sometimes we're seen as judgmental because we are ourselves insecure and fearful. Difference is challenging. So when a different view to our own is expressed, we feel that the foundations of our faith are under attack, and if we don't respond, then our defenses are weakened. So when we come to this passage, and we hear Jesus say, don't judge, it becomes a bit of a shock. It's a shock to our humanity because we're made to judge and it's a shock to us as Christians that Jesus should say this. Now I should say in passing, I don't think it's clear what it means when it says don't judge uh, and then you won't be judged. I'm not sure whether that means because God won't judge you or other people won't judge you. But whatever it means, it's very clear here that we're called not to judge, not to condemn, but instead to forgive and to give to those that don't give back to us. I think we need to uh, make a clear distinction uh, as to what judging means. We need to see this passage in the context of all that Jesus said. And what Jesus is not saying here is, please abandon your critical faculties and just let things go by. I mean, he didn't do that himself, and so it's very clear that we shouldn't do so either. Jesus certainly didn't do that. In today's passage, for example, it says that uh, if you take the log out of your own eye, you're able then to see the speck in somebody else's eye. And the implication is that if you are able to do so without hypocrisy, you're called upon to help your brother or sister or anybody that you meet into the right way of doing things. So Jesus saw a difference in what judgment means, and he calls us to see the distinction between challenging wrong ideas and challenging the people who champion them. He did this himself. If you remember, 
when the woman who was caught in adultery was brought to him, he condemned, or he didn't condone, the uh, act of sexual immorality, but he didn't condemn the person uh, who was found guilty of it. I think there are three reasons, I like threes, don't I? There are three reasons uh, why we need to curb our natural inclination to criticize and condemn others. Here's the first one, and it's in the passage, because none of us is perfect. And often what we see as offensive in other people is what's offensive in us, but we don't want to face up to it. So we see it, it, see it personified in somebody and we condemn it because it's uncomfortable to us. So that's one reason why we should not easily pass judgment on others. The second is because we may consider, what we may consider to be fundamentally right may prove not to be fundamentally right. If you think about uh, many of the encounters that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day, he had run-ins with people who made judgments which they believed to be God-given judgments. So on the Sabbath, there's the excellent principle that we should take a day in which to have rest and to focus on God. And what had the Jews done through the years They'd interpreted that into different situations. In the Talmud, which is the sort of the, uh, the Jews' commentary on the Old Testament, they had no fewer than 365 interpretations of what it means to keep the Sabbath. One for each day of the year, except you had to keep all 365 on every Sabbath. And so they had taken a good principle and they'd applied it so that it was mindlessly uh, uh, put into the laws of the people at the time. Take another example. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus has a run-in with the Pharisees because they object to the disciples uh, eating ears of corn without having gone the, through the ritual of cleaning their hands. Now, the original principle was fine. It was a good hygienic principle to wash your hands, and we still do it today but it had been applied in such a rigid way that application of that meant that you had to do it in a certain way and all the time. And they genuinely believed that they were following what God wanted. Now, what's the message for us? Well, I believe that, that in a generation, there will be things that we determine as being right and wrong as we'll need a new understanding. If you look back in history... And there was a time when you could be a genuine Christian and believe that slavery was right. You could believe that it was right that a woman's place was never to be part of public worship because that was your interpretation. Now, I don't know, and I don't want to be controversial about what we believe today as being orthodox and won't be seen as such, but we need to be careful when we're absolutely sure, because we may, may be absolutely sure that we're wrong. Jesus said to the, to, to the Pharisees, you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. They turned life-giving principles into lifeless regulations. So that's two reasons why we should be, uh, avoid being uh, uh, negative. And the third is the most powerful, and that is that Jesus was not a negative person. He is our model 
and he was way more interested in commending than in condemning. Of course, he did call out wrong when he found it. He was strikingly selective, though, exploiting the poor, misuse of power, selfishness, that sort of thing. He was very clear on. But he was much more drawn to commending the good, to accentuating the positive, to distinguishing between the people and the acts that they were responsible for. And this was shown perhaps most tellingly on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As a human, Jesus would have been forgiven for only seeing the pain that was unjustly shown to him. But he was ready to see behind that, that there was actually a human weakness that needed to be forgiven and not just condemned. And then indeed in this passage we have what's called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Now this is an interesting phrase because it was used by many rabbis at the time. We have the, the, the writings still with us today. And many Greek philosophers used almost exactly the same uh, uh, instruction to their followers. But with one very significant difference. They didn't say, do unto others what you would have them do to you. They said, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And Jesus is turning something which is a a negative into a positive. He's saying, go beyond. Surprise them. Do the thing that would be most beneficial to them. And so Google's code of conduct, which says, don't be evil doesn't go far enough. It's not good enough for us to say, I've never done anybody any harm. Jesus wants us to be positive and to go the extra mile. Just read these or listen to these words again from verse 27. But I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who ill-treat you. Such familiar words, we can gloss over them, but just try and apply that to the situations that you're in today, the relationships that are difficult. It's totally counter-cultural. In today's world, there's more and more polarization. So if somebody doesn't agree with me, then they're not part of me. And so I only deal with the people that I know will enforce the views that I already have. I'll stick with the people that I like. I'll read the social media that enforces an idea. We call it the echo chamber. You're just hearing back what you want to hear. Our little bubble. And what Jesus is saying is, break out of that bubble. Go to try to understand and to show love to the people that you're not naturally inclined towards face up to your prejudices do good to those who are not one with you and perhaps see good return as a result okay so that's the generality now comes the work for you and we're going to have a moment of uh, silence maybe a couple of minutes when i'm going to ask that the holy spirit will bring to you Bring to your mind a person that you're not at one with. As somebody said to me after the nine o'clock service, 
I don't have many enemies, so we're not going to limit it to enemies, okay? They don't have to actually come and throw bricks at your house for you to be an enemy to them. But I want you to think about somebody that you're at odds with, somebody who has a different point of view of yours, and somebody that perhaps you try to avoid or would rather not be with. At best, somebody that you're cool towards. And after we've done that for a while and, and uh, um, uh, thought about who that person might be, I'm then going to ask you to think, what would it mean to that person for you to do good to them? Not just to not do bad, but what would it mean to show love, to do good, to pray for them, to bless them, which is what Jesus says that we should do. And if no individual comes to mind, it may well be that it's a group of people. It's a race or a political point of view or it's um, people whose lifestyle is totally counter to what you're used to. And in the same way, to ask God to show you what one positive act would be that would enable you to demonstrate something positive to them rather than negative or neutral. So I ask you now, Holy Spirit, to come to us. It may be for us very easy to immediately think of somebody or some group. It may be very difficult for us. So... In either case, we need your help to come now. And I pray that you will come and will bring to mind the person or the group that you want us to focus on this, e- this morning. And as that person comes to mind, Lord, forgive us for not loving them, for not wishing good upon them, for not blessing them, for not praying for them. And would you help us to see if there's one thing we can do Maybe a symbolic act that actually crosses the room to them, crosses the boundary that there is between us, and to fulfill your command to us to love them. And Lord, as you do that, and as we obey your instruction to love those that are unlovely, will you please bring blessing to them and to us. Amen. Now, I'm sorry to beguile you by having 
the conclusion without it being the total conclusion, because there's a little more to say, okay? Because I want to ask you the question, is it possible for us to go against human nature and do what we've just prayed that we would do? And the answer is, it's not possible if it's just done in our own strength. It'll be, as Jesus said, rather like a thorn bush trying to produce figs or a bramble bush growing grapes. There has to be a change at the roots of us. Good intentions are not enough. Roots means radical, and it needs to be a radical change. It's only possible if my sense of identity, who I am, is not defined by my relationships with other people or by how I view myself. If my identity is because I am a child of God, then those things can happen that couldn't happen if I was just left to my own devices. And that's why this passage, pretty well like all the passages that we're studying in Luke, comes back to our relationship with Jesus. In step with him, I can face the world, all its different people, all its different beliefs, as a child of God, secure, accepted, okay, not needing them to agree with me, not needing them to stop attacking me. I can't do it on my own. The first word of Jesus in this passage is that we should love our enemies. And the word used there in the Greek is not the love of brotherly love. So try and make them attractive to yourself. It's not sexual love. Be attracted to them sexually. It's agape love. Love them to do good to them, to wish well upon them. And when we know that we are loved by God with that agape love, then it becomes possible to love other people in the way we've just been talking about. Love of God in us can be passed on to others. No love of God in us, we're on our own. We have to define our relationships with other people. In his first epistle, John writes, we love because he first loved us. If we know that we're loved, then we're able to do that even to the most unlovely people. That's the power of love. And we're going to sing now as our response, um, and it's very much in keeping with this message. Who am I? I'm a child of God, that's who I am. Shall we stand and sing?